0: Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Dwayne Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Dwayne co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Duane are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, this is Marnie and for the first time I am doing an episode without my co-host and friend Dwayne Osterlund, um, Duane's not feeling great and so um, he asked that I do this one by myself so if we can all just take a quick second and throw out lots of healing and positive thoughts for Dwayne to feel better soon. That would be wonderful. I think this is a really important interview and we didn't want to reschedule it because I do believe that so many people, so many of our listeners are going to find this information valuable. So we are going to be talking about polygraphs today and the efficacy of polygraphs and I will be interviewing Ryan Angulo. So Ryan and I have been working together exclusively for me since 2008 and I was working at that time at the Sexual Recovery Institute and Dr. Omar Manwala was my supervisor and so Ryan I don't know how Ryan found Dr. Manwala, but that's essentially how I found Ryan, is that we, I just sort of inherited him, right, <laughs> uh, when I was working with Omar. So, um, Ryan, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and maybe share with our listeners a little bit about your history doing polygraphs and how you got into it.
2: Sure. Um, hi, everybody. My name's Ryan Angulo. I've been doing polygraph since the summer of 2006. I went into polygraph after my career ended prematurely in law enforcement. I had a background in interviews and kind of dealing with people body language interpretation and statement analysis and things of that nature and my father had a polygraph business and so i kind of went to business with him i went to school mentored and interned under him and then just kind of started establishing my own business and my own path so to speak in polygraph specifically in terms of this kind of testing in terms of testing associated with therapists it started with uh, dr manuel down at sexual recovery institute and I think that would have probably been down in sometime in 2007, maybe late 2007 or so. And my father had been doing some work for some people down there. And I just went down one day and did a test for Omar. And we just kind of hit it off from there. And uh, I started just testing for him and then for a few other people. And then he was doing a lecture series. And we kind of talked about polygraph before the lecture series so we could cite some things and just kind of the relationship with him and then with a bunch of other therapists kind of grew from there.
1: Okay. Great, and what what do you like about doing polygraphs? Why why are you interested in this? <laughs> uh, do you like do you like doing polygraphs? And what uh, what do you what do you not like about doing polygraphs?
2: No, I I like doing polygraphs in terms of I do a wide variety of polygraphs. So I encounter a lot of different types of people in a lot of different types of settings. I like being able to help in terms of either provide comfort, closure, um, some sort of answer to maybe some things that are unknown or on the flip side of it kind of providing um, in a criminal setting, providing a direction to go for an investigation, providing healing to victims or to uh, families who don't know things. In this type, I like being able to go ahead and help couples kind of get back on track in terms of establishing, yes, okay, we we finally have some truth or no, we still have more work to be done. So the reason I'd gotten law enforcement a long time ago was to help and, and kind of trying to find a place where I could help within polygraph was important.
1: And what specifically are any challenges that you have with this population when you're working with um, with either sex addicts or just infidelity?
2: There's a lot of challenges in terms of this type of testing. Number one is the, kind of just the scope of the topic that we're, going, that we're discussing. You know, rarely is it just an addict has acted out once, and it's a very specific thing that we can just kind of look at that one issue, dive into that one issue, and, and clear it up frequently we're dealing with patterns of behavior that have extended a long time, which now we begin to run into things like memory, you know, recall, what do I actually recall? Um, what am I willing to talk about? What am I not willing to talk about? And just the personality of an addict I and mean, the personality of people in general is difficult, but personality of an addict, obviously they've engaged in a certain type of behavior and they've been so closed off in terms of hiding that behavior or in terms of making the people around them believe things that, sometimes getting through that can be a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And do you, when you're doing polygraphs with this population, do you often talk to um, both the addict and then the partner prior? I mean, I guess how often does the partner call and ask you a lot of questions?
2: It seems like it's more particular to certain therapists as opposed to others. I have certain therapists who I never hear from the therapist, but I speak a great deal with both sides of the partners. I have other therapists who I almost never... Hear from the partner, but it, overall, maybe about half the time, you know. And, and I'm I'm fine with either way, you know. If they if they don't want to speak, I'm fine. But sometimes they just want to hear a voice or understand that they're not being set up. That this is a real thing. That there's a voice on the other end of the line. That there is somebody who's going to be administering this test, and they kind of like to feel out the process.
1: So I sent you an article a little while ago, and it was an article from the American Psychological Association that was titled "The Truth About Lie Detectors." Or polygraph tests and overall what their conclusion is that most psychologists agree that there's little evidence that polygraph tests can accurately detect lies and I want to read you this paragraph and I'd love for you to respond to it and share your reaction. The accuracy or validity of polygraph testing has long been controversial. An underlying problem is theoretical. There's no evidence that any pattern of physiological reactions is unique to deception. An honest person may be nervous when answering truthfully, and a dishonest person may be non-anxious. Also, there are a few good studies that validate the ability of polygraph procedures to detect deception. As Dr. and Israeli psychologist Gershon note, it may in fact be impossible to conduct a proper validity study. In real world situations, it's very difficult to know what the truth is.
2: Much of what is in there is is 100% accurate. the validity polygraphs in general have, has long been controversial, but the thing that jumped out when I, when I was reading this article is it's well written and, and and not much of it would I disagree with. However, it seemingly does what I think in general when you're trying to express an opinion within an article that maybe you don't have a ton of uh, actual study or scientific background for, we tend to use terms like long been... Uh, on the underlying problem theoretical, that they, uh, there's few good studies, it might be impossible. It's, there, there's a lot of generalizations there. Is everything, what they're saying, potentially true? Absolutely. But because it's only potentially true, it means the opposite side also may be true. The simple fact about polygraph is this, it is not perfect. To say that there's no evidence that, you know, I, I believe the wording was like any pattern of physiological deception is unique to deception you take one word or put one word in that sentence and it makes it true. Take one and makes is okay. The pattern of physiological responses is not necessarily unique to deception, but it is potentially unique to deception in the setting that, that it occurs. Meaning I could have these responses if I'm running down the street, you know, my heart rate's going to elevate, I'm going, my sweat glands are going to stimulate. All these different things are going to occur. But if I'm sitting in a chair, the reasons why these things are going to occur are significantly less. Are honest people, nervous when answering questions truthfully. Of course they are, but they're going to be honest the entire time. So whatever the pattern of behavior is that is established by the truthful person in terms of how their body responds, we're going to see that. Is a dishonest person going to be less anxious, potentially? Um, There's a lot of, you know, that goes into your field, a lot of personality disorders or different psychological conditions that are going to affect the way people react or the way we respond. We look for patterns of behaviors, patterns of response. And even with all that, polygraph's not perfect. It's just an exceptional tool when done correctly is pretty good
1: okay and when so when you talk about potential psychological issues and things like personality disorders would you um, try to exclude or, or discourage somebody who is, who has one of those disorders from doing a polygraph test do you feel like that would you know in some way jeopardize the results or the the efficacy of it
2: you know i I, I don't have maybe I don't have the background to kind of knowledgeably speak to those things. Um, But what I will say is this, I've done thousands upon thousands upon thousands of polygraph tests and specifically in terms of with addicts or in like a therapy type setting or in um, like a criminal examination setting, people accused of crimes. And I would say that uh, a fair majority of the people who I've tested both passed and haven't passed Um, probably have some level of personality disorder psychological condition. It's something. I mean, I I, I don't know that any one in particular, I know know, people say pathological liars are not good candidates for polygraph. It's just difficult to get a good control group of pathological liars to go ahead and conduct a study. Um, But the simple fact of the matter is we respond when we lie because we have that fear, the anxiety, the worry about getting caught, and cognitively requires more effort for us to lie than it does to tell the truth. It's just harder for us to lie. I don't think that changes based on any personality disorders.
1: Okay, that's helpful. And I've talked with you in the past about certain cases where somebody has actually failed a polygraph and, you know, swore up and down on their life, all you know, just completely discarded the results. You know, so what do you do in a case like that? Do you, do you ever feel like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe, it, you know, this person was telling the truth. Or do you, I mean, how, how, I guess how, how certain are you? of uh, the results?
2: Sure. Um, it's not perfect. So, and, and, I, and I tell them this, that the, the only person who knows for sure when they're sitting in the room at the end of the day, 100% certain that they're telling the truth is them. Um, and likewise, the only person who would know if they lie. The vast majority of the people who don't pass with me, the vast majority of them admit whatever it is they were withholding, or we get to a reason why. We discover a problem within the test in terms of information. The vast majority of the time, let's just let's just be real, It's they, they lie. They minimize, they held something back. There's just that one piece of whatever that they just didn't want to come out. And in, and frequently in this type of behavior, it's things that just kind of are game changers in their mind, whether it be who they had an affair with, the nature of the affair, things that occurred within the affairs, the emotional ties, and these are things that tend to get held back. Occasionally, we'll run into that where they're just, no, 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 no. But it's very, very rare and I'm very cautious in rendering a decision. Um, the data has to be good, we have to be able to support. There's always you know a potential for an inconclusive exam. But in, I'm trying to think in terms of, in this type of testing, in 12 or 13 years, I, I can't think of more than two or three that have really stepped out and said, no, 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 nothing. And within those two or three, there was something there they're just trying, trying to misrepresent it. I, I think I had one recently that was that was kind of the nature
1: Can you share about that recent experience?
2: Sure. So the, this particular poly the person came in and there was a there's a there's a, there a pretty extensive pattern of behavior. They've done a lot of different things. And it, it's usually when it's one particular topic, it's somebody, maybe their spouse or partner knows, maybe it's a family member, or it's a type of behavior they just don't want to admit. And so this was something like that. And he had said he was certain he was positive about the interaction and what had occurred and what everybody's role was within that interaction. And I make it real clear when we test that we can't test what you think and we don't want to test what you believe or what you're pretty sure is true. The only thing I will test is what you absolutely know. So that's the only, we can only test absolutes. And he maintained that he was absolutely certain of what he was telling me. And then after the test, when it didn't go well, well, it was established he was, he definitely was not that he was Kind of filling in some blanks, maybe, you know, there's some spots in his memory where he wasn't positive what had occurred. And so rather than just say, I wasn't positive about this part, I'll just fill it in with a part that makes me look best. You know, kind of, I'll put a little perfume on the story so it doesn't stink so bad. Um, But that created a problem for him on the poly. And he, despite the fact he acknowledged that, he told me, okay, I wasn't positive about that. He knew he was supposed to. Then afterwards, then he tried to sell it that, well, the polygraph was broken. It didn't work. The polygraph did exactly what it was supposed to be. It identified something that he wasn't sure about that he wasn't talking about. Was he lying about anything else? I don't know. Was he lying about that, or just kind of trying to maximize his, uh, make him look, as, you know, the best possible? I, I don't know. But I just know there was something off on that, and and I believe that's what this case.
1: So I'm curious. In a case like that, would do you hear from people? Do you, do people contact you, and they're angry, or they want you to retest them, or they want their money back, or you know, <laughs> anything like that?
2: Um, not usually the money bag. I haven't had that one, but, uh, yeah, this guy was very angry. Um, ironically, he wasn't right after the test and, you know, he was apologetic. He was, I'm sorry, I get it. I messed this up. So he, he kind of owned the behavior in here in front of me. And then, when he left, and he had a drive, and then he had to kind of deal i 'm assuming with his partner or his spouse or whatever, and many, many hours later, then he, he started getting upset and leaving messages and text messages. This one's kind of ironic in that he just it just got to the point where I told him listen we 've had the results we 've talked about them i 'm not going to be able to talk to you anymore this, He was just he was kind of he was very agitated, you know yelling, leaving some messages that weren 't necessarily something I wanted to listen to, so we, we kind of cut that off. And ironically, he, I guess, a few days later um, encountered another guy who I have done a couple of polygraphs on a few and not always have they gone his way, meaning that he started out maybe not being honest and then since has kind of committed to his therapy, has passed polys and has taken follow-up polys with me. And they, I guess, ran each, into each other in a group setting or something and had some sort of interaction where uh, I guess the one guy's taken up for it is, you know, Local polygrapher and saying, no. If you if this went bad, it was because of you. And he ended up calling back and apologizing, and I guess the world is all right now.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, I think it goes to show like how much is at stake here, right? How much is at stake with a polygraph in terms of a couple that are trying to repair, um, sure, or yeah. save their relationship. And so, um, a failed polygraph for many people can mean the potential um, of losing their their entire marriage, you know. And so I can see how initial responses might be really intense you know but hopefully with support from therapists and also really like again letting go of the defensiveness and the shame being able to dive into the results and specifically what went wrong and really look at that you know rather than just be like it's true I, I passed polygraphs You know, the polygraphers he doesn't know what he's talking about he's a jerk um, so I, I have seen a lot of people go from initial reactions of real fury to coming around and saying, no, I held something back. In fact, I'm thinking right now of a case that you and I had maybe about a year ago or so where I was sending a client to you and this was one where I literally said, Ryan, you have nothing to worry about here. Not that you would worry about it you know, in advance, but I have <laughs> nothing to worry about. This is this is a no-brainer. This is a pass. Um, I know this guy's going to pass. And I never say that. I mean, that's really, I've learned enough in this field to know that anything's possible and that people are incredible liars um, or... Right people have so much shame or fear about, you know, possibly losing their relationship that typically they'll say, all right, I'm willing to disclose everything except this one thing. Yeah. Right. This one thing. So with this particular client that I had said, no, no worries at all. Um, I was stunned when you told me that he had failed. I was really truly stunned. I thought, and actually I'll be honest with you. I did maybe think potentially you (laughs) might be wrong, (laughs) you know,
2: it happens.
1: (laughs) And then, but then the client, Totally with with you. Like after the after the results came, after, after the results were clear, the client admitted that there was something specific that he was holding back, and you know, truthfully, that that detail that he was holding back, in my opinion, and this is where you have to look at addicts as really not thinking very clearly and having a lot of impaired thinking. This client thought that that one detail was going to be the end of the marriage that everything else his partner could handle. Um, truthfully from a, an objective point of view, when I, when he told me what it was that he was hiding, I was, I was like, that's what you're holding back. You're disclosing all of this other stuff, which in my opinion would be way more devastating to your partner, but in, in a distorted, you know, reality in someone's mind, if they're scared, they're that scared, they might just tell themselves, okay, this is the one thing I can't say. So anyway, he failed and he immediately, um, immediately said okay there's something i'm withholding and here it is and you know and he he told me and he'd been lying to me and but it actually that experience was great cuz this guy's recovery is amazing you know so i think if he if he'd gotten away with that i actually don't think that would have been a good thing i'm i'm really really happy <laughs> that it went the way it did and i think he if he was sitting here and i was interviewing him he would say best thing that could have happened he has an honest a really honest relationship with his partner now and it was bad, I and mean, he went to treatment, and um, it was really, really bad. And I wasn't certain that that relationship was going to work because his his distorted thinking was really, um, it was acute. It was really acute. So um, I so again, that to me is an example of how a polygraph, regardless of what the results are, can still be a great tool and can still help in healing the relationship.
2: For sure, yeah. Now, I don't think always it's the, the passes don't always necessarily I I think sometimes the partners are left questioning those and like oh, is he really is he really is he really when I think sometimes when they get a failed poly they don't pass they disclose more information come back take a follow-up and pass I think sometimes that can actually lend some credence to it like okay maybe maybe this does help and and I always tell them it's kind of like you're putting a a floor on the elevator the elevator's been plummeting for so long the partners to know when they're gonna hit the bottom and now okay we have the bottom floor we can work out from Um, ironically, I've had uh, the exact opposite in cases too, where somebody passes and just they absolutely, people cannot believe it. Um, one case in particular, this was a criminal case. This wasn't a therapeutic type, but the detective was so certain. And the evidence was, while it was circumstantial, it was so suggestive of one thing that nobody could really come up with another explanation.
1: You said there was a lot of circumstantial evidence that were- Yeah. And
2: even the physical evidence, it was, uh, um, I don't, want, I don't want to get graphic. but it was a sexual assault case and that the physical evidence suggested that there's no way that this could not have happened. That The, the, the person it was a child it had to be telling the truth here and the, the person came in to take the test and he passed and the detective I've worked with for a long time and he ended up telling me, hey, listen, I'm not saying you're wrong, kind of, kind of like you, hey, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I just don't believe you this time and uh, I'm going to file this with the district attorney anyways because, you know, listen, polygraphs not perfect and I wasn't offended. Hey, by all means. so." Ironically, uh, the day he was going to walk this to the district attorney's office to have it filed, the quote unquote victim came in and said what really had happened. And it had nothing to do with the person she had accused and the other guy was telling the truth. But the evidence was so strong and suggested one thing that sometimes it's it's really difficult when, like for a partner, they've been lied to and betrayed so badly, or in a criminal case, they, you, know, they, you think evidence is suggesting one thing. Sometimes it's really hard to take a step back and go, All right, maybe we do have the truth right now.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, it happens. Yeah, people, I think a lot of partners, um, it can go both ways. Some partners are certain, they're totally certain that their that their husband or their spouse is holding, um, is holding something. Like they're, they're, there's no way they're being honest now because there have been so many little discoveries and little mini disclosures and drips and drabs over time that it's they've probably almost as a defense mechanism convinced themselves there's no way that they're gonna pass because that's been my experience. And then there's a pass, and the partner, even though of course that's what she wanted and what she wished for desperately. May doubt that and feel like, I, I, how can I trust that? You know, and that's that to me illustrates just how traumatized a partner is who's played.
2: No, for sure. I, I think it's it's fun. I think because they were maybe blind to it for so long, or just I hear this a lot from partners is they didn't trust kind of their instincts on something, or they had indications, but they ignored them, or um, sometimes they just had no indications. So they think that their partner A is like the super incredible liar who is almost impossible being caught because if they were possible being caught, then I would have seen this in our marriage. Or because they didn't trust their instincts, now they believe their instincts or their, you know, intuition are infallible to the point where like, well, I suspect more, so there has to be more. I should have listened to it before.
1: Yeah, we talk in our podcast about the idea of the second brain and omar actually talks about that a lot too it's that part that when you're dealing with somebody who is betraying you and you you possibly even sense something is off there's some suspicion of something but in order to believe yourself that means you have to doubt and not trust the person that you have the greatest attachment you know relationship to and so it almost becomes incumbent that you then deny your own experience you know you don't trust yourself in order to trust this other person who you need to because it's a relationship where there's you know this understanding that there's trust and safety in the relationship sure. there's an expectation of trust and safety what am i supposed to do if i i how do i doubt the person i'm supposed to trust the most sadly because then that leaves that leaves behind really the person you need to trust the most, which is yourself. And that's that second brain.
2: Yeah, you you said that way more articulately than I was. I was
1: just going to say, that was (laughs) was sort of the clinical, you you summed (laughs) it up in a great way, because I think anybody can understand it. And then I was just tossing in the sort of clinical language behind it. Yeah, no, that um,
2: makes perfect sense. Yeah.
1: Okay. So going back, you had mentioned earlier in our conversation, something about um, memory issues. And so I wanted to actually ask a specific question that one of our listeners asked. So this is what she said. I'm wondering how polygraphs work when someone has memory issues. My husband has a very hard time remembering any dates and events in his life, particularly from his childhood, and then the years he was acting out in addiction. Would a polygraph even be reliable?
2: Memory, that's a, that's a big thing. But if they don't remember, it didn't occur for my purposes. Um, if they acknowledge it happened, but details of the problem, uh, that's something I think can definitely be worked out. In. But in and this is almost gonna sound like I'm I'm putting in a pub for therapists everywhere, but rarely do I work now with clients who are not seeing a therapist in terms of with this style of testing. Uh, I, I do very few just private people calling, hey, I have an infidelity type thing, or um, occasionally somebody will go see a therapist and then, oh, or they'll read a book and they're like, okay, I, I can do this disclosure on my own and we're gonna do this. And every time I do it, I regret it. And I think that the memory issue, the what to recall, what details need to be in there, and what details aren't. Because you know in disclosures, you guys guide them in a way certain details are important, certain aren't. If they can recall things happen and now it becomes a memory issue, I think working with a therapist is arguably the best bet. Because then by the time they get to me, usually that's worked out. Or they're comfortable saying, I know this happened, but I don't remember all the details, but here is my best representation of what I believe happened. And if, Whereas if they just come in and we're working through that for the first time, that can be more difficult and can leave a lot more uncertainty. If you don't remember, you don't remember. If you remember it happened, but you're sketchy on the details, then what I recommend or how we test the disclosure document is we just focus on the concept of, are you intentionally omitting, withholding, changing, altering? Are you misrepresenting something on purpose? Are you lying? Not remembering a lying are two different things. We just have to make sure there are, in fact, two different things. But if I'm saying, hey, listen, I did something, it was like 20 to 25 years ago, I think I did it. A handful of times, well, that's going to have to be good enough. And, and sometimes that's hard for a partner to accept because they want a lot of details and they want a lot of facts. But the simple fact that memories aren't perfect. And some of us remember things better. You know, people block things out, they forget about them. There's a lot of different factors that can come into play.
1: Yeah, we also convince ourselves often, some people are able to convince themselves of something for such a long time that to them, it really becomes, it's almost as if that's what really happened, the narrative that they've created.
2: Sure, I, I think that's that's real possible. I also think the truth is in there somewhere, though. I, I still believe, even as they're telling it, I think there's a hint of them that knows. So you would know? you
1: say to this? So would you say to this woman um, who asked the question that you would still recommend a polygraph, so that memory is not something that you know traditionally or historically has been such a factor that you can't get an accurate result?
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would still say polygraph can be used. Um, and this is kind of true of every test that I do in this field, but just have kind of tempered expectations in terms of what we can and can't achieve. Um, a lot of times, partners, and I understand why, they, they, they want to know everything. And it's just not a magic eight ball that we can shake up and get all the answers. And sometimes due to memory issues, sometimes due to the nature of a question or an answer they want, it's just not viable for polygraph. And when we start asking too many questions or stretching into too many different places we don't belong, then we start to bring in problems with the accuracy of polygraph.
1: Got it. Okay. Thanks for that. And then a couple more questions. So, what would you say to a couple, to either an addict or his partner or both, if you got them on the phone and they were considering using a polygraph as a tool, right, a part of the disclosure process? Overall, is it something you would recommend?
2: Yes. Just simply, um, I've met a lot of people in this field in terms of therapists. Every therapist that you know, I, I kind of evaluate from who they are and how they are, and and I've I've had conversations with ones who just are not fans of polygraph or kind of curious or they have questions, and I'm not speaking to their competency or who they are or anything, else. but every therapist who I've met that I've been they really seem like they're somebody who if I was working through something that would be somebody I'd go to or the the it just seems like they have a better structured more formalized way of approaching problems, and polygraph always seems to be part of that. Um, I, am a fan of it because I don't know, it would be difficult to go forward sometimes without it. Do I get that there's therapists who don't? Yeah, of course. Do I think you can get to the right answers without it? Yeah. I just think sometimes this, I don't want to say speeds up the process, but kind of removes some of the doubt or it kind of answers a big question.
1: Yeah, and I agree, and that's why I've been such a proponent for the polygraph. Um, and I've had a lot of people, whether it's clients, um, particularly addicts themselves, or even other therapists, like you said, that that don't believe in the polygraph, they don't believe in the polygraph, they don't they don't want to use it. And I can honestly say, from my experience, as I said a little bit earlier, I feel like it's again, it's a tool. It's not perfect, right? We don't know for sure. We can't we can't know that. However, my experience has been that a lot of the addicts who are Sort of where it's where it's requested, and sometimes it's a non-negotiable for a partner. Like if you don't do this, then I can't I can't work this out. Um, just because there's been so much dishonesty, and they just don't have any confidence, and they need something. My experience has been just the willingness to do it. Just the willingness is often a huge sign to a partner. You know the 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 addict who has done all of this egregious behavior and has betrayed and hurt and lied and manipulated and all that kind of stuff, all the gaslighting, who then says, "No, I'm not going to do this. I'm not a criminal." That's to a partner that's like that's really impossible to comprehend because most partners would say if i were if i were in your situation i would do whatever it takes to help heal this, re- this this relationship and if i didn't do anything why in the world would i say no when i've hurt you so much and you're saying this is what i need right? right so that's you know so just the willingness i think is really helpful and then also for the addict i think and i've seen this before i think a lot of addicts end up disclosing the truth and passing a polygraph, whereas if they weren't having the poly, they likely would have held something back. I'm not saying everybody would. But you know, even my client who knew he was taking the polygraph, the one I was talking about before, who lied and knew he was lying, right? A lot of men in that situation or women in that situation would not lie. They'd be like, oh, god, I'd like to lie. And I would lie if I could get away with it. But I'm taking this polygraph, and now I can fail it. So it's a good incentive for them to be really honest.
2: No, for sure. And we get a lot of the 11th hour on admissions. I mean, we're getting ready it's not uncommon. We talk for a long time before the test and, you know, it'd be right before we're going to hook the instrument up to them. And, oh, you know, oh, there's one way. Okay. And it's, it's just, it's not uncommon. Like, the vast majority of people who take tests in this style of testing, and I'll say therapeutic or addict related testing pass. They just do. By the time they get to polygraph, they've kind of been through a lot. They've kind of committed to it. a lot of the objections or whatever they may have had. They've kind of gone by the wayside. And it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but they're almost like resigned to the fact. Okay, I got to tell the truth,
0: mm-hmm. but they will
2: hang on to that little piece just for whatever reason for so long. Yeah. But you, but you hear it from a lot of them that it, it has helped. I I do a lot of follow up testing in terms of you know maintenance, and I've had guys who have even said that their wife doesn't even really feel like doesn't ask for it anymore. They just know, hey, once a year, I'm going to do this, and they like it because it's almost forced accountability. And, right, you know, right, and, exactly. And, and you know, and people say, well, you should do the right thing because it's the right thing. Like, we, we all should. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact matters. We don't, and so that having some sort of forced accountability, knowing that there's going to be a date down the road where you're going to have to answer for everything, isn't always a bad thing.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I've seen that in the clients that I work with. Um, you know. Where the addicts feel like, okay, she's not she she's letting the polygraph actually for now. This doesn't, you know, I, if this is going on 10 years after you know someone's been in sobriety and there's recovery and there's healing, and if they're still asking every year for or every six months for a polygraph, my feeling is I don't know how healed that relation really is. right. Yeah, right yeah. I don't really think that people are gonna to want to be staying in marriages where for the rest of the marriage or for 10, 15, even five years, well, maybe five years, honestly. But yeah, you no, know, it's not
2: cut me short here, Marty. Right.
1: <laughs> but yeah, like I would say to a couple who are dealing with that I don't know if you guys maybe it's maybe it's not the best thing for your own sense of of safety and well-being to stay in this relationship if you're still needing the polygraph that you know for that long however there's also not uh, an actual you know hardcore what's the word I'm looking for like but if somebody said to me, well, how long do you think that I should continue to ask for, you know, a once a year polygraph? I couldn't really tell them. It's so individual. Right. People that don't need the ongoing polygraphs, they really get to a point early on where they feel completely trust- trusting. And they don't want it. And they don't want their life to look like that. You know, they'll say, how can I be in a relationship where I have to polygraph my my partner every, you know, six sure. months Sure, definitely, yeah. Um, So I couldn't answer that question because for some people that is just what they need because there has been so much damage and so much betrayal and so much gaslighting over the years that a partner kind of at at a certain point doesn't know what to trust, even herself. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes she starts questioning other people who haven't done anything to them, but just the whole concept of, wait a second, if the person that I trusted more than anyone could do this, then how can I trust myself? So that means who else in my life are, you know, are lying or can I not trust? It creates so much. Much doubt in a partner, which is why I always love to see, regardless of what someone thinks of the polygraph, even if their head, they're like, it's bullshit, it doesn't work, I don't believe in it, all of that. The willingness to do it anyway is a step in helping a partner feel like you're really telling the truth or you're really willing to do whatever it takes to save the relationship. Okay, so then I have another question, which is if you have a client in the office and the client fails, Um, But then as soon as he fails, he comes clean and tells you what he was holding back. Do you retest? Uh, Not in general
2: right then. So I can give you three different examples. One, I had a guy who um, partially threw the test. We're we're running some charts, and it's not going his way. And I check with him. You know, we run, we go through the questions multiple times. And after a couple, he said, Ryan, there's something I haven't told you about. Um, I need to get it out. And so he made some admissions. Well, in theory, he failed that.
1: In In theory, he failed?
2: Yeah, at that point in time, he's failed. I have enough data. Yeah, I would like to run a couple more, but he just admitted he lied. So I could just send him on his way, but I don't think I'm doing anybody really any good right then. So in that case, we go ahead and reset the poly, and he ended up passing. I had another guy who had some reactions to a question, and he maintained he wasn't lying. Um, but he was disturbed by... This this was like six months ago, and I'm trying to remember. He was disturbed by something in the wording, and he brought it up at the end of the test. He said, you know, that one question just... And you ask, I keep thinking this. I know we talked about it, didn't we? And so we found a way to restructure the question. I reran that portion of the test because I didn't think like we got a solid result and he passed. And so, in those cases, I do everything I can to get the best result we can. If the person's being truthful, I'm not just gonna say, oh, you failed or oh, you told me something now. You should have told me that before. Get out, you failed. So, we do everything we can to get to a truthful result. But sometimes they're just not telling the truth. And usually, when they come to the truth after the test, it's not like we just unhook and say, okay, you lied, tell me the truth, and they tell the truth. It takes some talking. So at that point in time, they've been here for several hours. They're very keyed up to the issue. Sometimes they're overly stimulated to it, to the point, you know, where I don't know that they would be a viable candidate for a poly at that point. Plus maybe 50-50, 75, 25 in favor of what I'm about to say. If I let them walk away and then we retest them, usually there's a detail or two more that comes out. It's rarely just one detail. You know, I had one, I don't know, maybe eight, nine months ago, but the like guy didn't pass his initial poly. And he came out and it was uh, over, he had said, I love you to one of his affair partners. And he didn't want to discuss that part. And so it's a pretty general thing. I, I feel safe on this one. We hear that a lot.
1: Was that a question that the partner had asked?
2: It was uh, It was one of the partner's questions. Yeah. Had you ever said, I love you to any of your affair partners? And he'd maintain, no, 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 just out of fear. And so when he didn't pass his poly, he had said, well, I, I told the one I loved her. And I bought her this present or something that was you know, meaningful in terms of it would have had meaning to his wife. Right. And so he was real worried about those two things and he swore up and down. That was the only thing that he had lied about. You know, he he's real emotional. And he asked to take the poly again right then. And I said, no, you're real keyed up. I just, we'll see what we can And so we ended up rescheduling for a couple of days later because or a day later, maybe two days later because disclosure was coming very shortly. And then he came in and those two things turned into about 15 or 20 little some of them more significant than others but there was a lot more that giving him the time to go out and gather his thoughts acknowledge the fact that hey listen i just haven't been honest yet here's the things i think we got a better answer if we'd run that test right away well it's real simple he said no that those are the only two things and i'm just keyed up to it and that's why i failed and now the partner has no better answer than she had before where in this case okay he wasn't truthful this is what he's saying and why let's give him some time he came back and we got the right answer
1: So that's a great, a great ending. (laughs) You know, it's, and that goes to show too that it can go different ways. Again, that's why I feel like it's a great tool because again, had it not been used, there would have still been so much deception and how devastating would that be to the partner to learn any of that after a past polygraph, right? Or sorry, without a polygraph at all, like just to find out more. Um, And that might really be the sort of the nail in the coffin for a partner. Like, Oh my God, um, there's more. And you went through a disclosure and you know, said this was totally true i am never going to be able to trust you again right. so that's why that's why i love the polygraph when people start focusing on the accuracy and validity it's not to say that i don't believe it's accurate i actually do i've had i've had i think 99% of the experiences i've had using the polygraph and working with you have all just been they've worked out they've been good even when somebody's failing you know so i look at that as a really good incentive to be willing to do that Um, and actually you were just talking about the questions, like the partner's questions. And I think that's a good, a good time to ask you this question from another one of our listeners. And she said, I've heard that less questions asked is the best. Is this true and why?
2: Okay. So, all right. So that, yeah, this is probably one of the most frequently brought up things that, you know, people discuss with me is they want to know everything. And I tell me, you can't know everything, right? It just, we, we can't answer all those questions. Okay. Polygraph and its design is best for a singular issue. You know, it was designed to to kind of help with criminal cases. Did you shoot that person? Did you steal that car? Did you rob that bank? We're already kind of stretching its limits in terms of we look at a series of behavior, a pattern of behaviors in terms of the disclosure. Are you being completely honest or have you intentionally withheld information from the disclosure? So already stretching its boundaries a little bit. But then partners sometimes want to ask questions. And sometimes they want those questions asked directly within the polygraph exam which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, just simply, sim- simply because it's seemingly we're asking the same questions that should be in the disclosure. So if you're asking questions about a particular affair and it's details that the therapist, etc., are acceptable that should be in there or shouldn't, that should all be detailed in the disclosure document. So now if I'm asking a separate question, it's almost like I'm asking it for the second time.
1: So it's like a waste?
2: A little bit. Yeah. But
1: sometimes there are questions that
2: come up or that they just want more clarity on or whatever. And, and I think that's fair. And as long as they're appropriate, meaning that we're not dealing with thoughts, feelings, intense emotions, we can't cover. Uh, I, I think some of the more common ones were, did you ever, you know, have love her, have feelings of fondness for her? Uh, do you, are you committed to being in our relationship? Are you committed to doing everything you can to make this marriage work? Uh, are you 100% committed to your therapy?
1: What about, did you ever think, a big one, a big one that I've heard is, um, um, did you ever think about leaving our marriage?
2: Yes. Yeah. You, you hear all these things and th- those, those are very difficult because those are thoughts. So we can't, those are questions that are just not viable for a polygamy. I understand why they want them answered. We just can't answer them here. There's just, it's important to me to stay within what's best practices. You'll find examiners who will ask all kinds of stuff and will incorporate all kinds of questions and do all kinds of things. I'm fully aware of what polygraph's capabilities are. And even when we do the best we can, it's never going to be perfect. So we need to make sure to stay within the best acceptable practices. Singular issue testing is the best. So I would say the disclosure document's kind of like a singular issue. But if a partner has a bunch of questions, fewer is better because it's, you know, I had one set of questions that were sent to me and it was like 80 some odd questions and every question had six or seven like sub questions about something. It, it, you can't possibly retain all that information and know that I'm answering truthfully or not answering truthfully to that. So that, that's where the less is more in my mind. Find something out. Okay, find out that disclosure is accurate. And then if you have other questions down the road, we can deal with those down the road, but find something out as opposed to finding nothing out. That, and just lastly on that, the other thing they need to realize that, and, and this is, again, examiners will do this and they, they shouldn't. If I ask you, did you do A, B, and C? And you did all three you know, going back to that, you know, did you rob a bank? Did you steal a car? Did you break that toy or whatever? Yeah. If if whatever one of those I'm most concerned about, I'm going to respond to. I may not respond to the other two just simply because I'm that vested or that concerned about that other lie. So I can't say you're telling the truth to those others because your absence of a response tells me nothing. Once you fail one question, you fail the whole test.
1: Right. So the way that I do it, and I've been doing this for years, I'm curious if I imagine this is this is like the way to do it, but you tell me. Um, is that I have partners send me all the questions in advance. So if I'm working with the partner, I will have my client come up with all their questions and then I will go over those with the client myself, you know, and sort of there are sometimes we can't ask a certain question or it's inappropriate, or, or you're not going to get a there's no like it's a thought, like we were saying. So educating yes. the client on this is not gonna be a question that they're gonna be and answer. So then I take sort of that revised list and then I send it over to the addict's therapist. And then he works on those questions with his client, putting all, getting the answers to all of those in the disclosure document, right? So then if one of the questions, let's say, is did you ever act out in our own home, something like that, rather than have you ask that question in the actual polygraph is one of the, the test questions, it will be included and incorporated already, so you don't actually have to ask it separately.
2: Yeah, in my opinion, that is hands down the best way to do it. And then if the questions have some information that's kind of the outskirts of the disclosure or maybe not, then I can break it into, did you line any portion of your disclosure? Did you lie in any part of your answers to the questions? And it's right. still very concise, neat, Polly, as opposed to having these three or four random questions and then one big old one about the disclosure. And so, yeah, no, that's, that's arguably, yeah, the best way to do it.
1: That's because I'm so good at what I do.
2: It's gotta be. I I have notes here and it says when Marnie says that, say this. So I think that's, Yeah, I think I got that one right.
1: Right, You just gave me away.
2: Oh, sorry. My bad. I thought truthfulness was the key here, Marnie.
1: Exactly. Um, Okay. So a couple of other questions. Um, So one, one listener said, how specific do the questions have to be in order to ensure no wiggle room? I feel like you were sort of talking about that already, but maybe if you can try to like, just concisely answer that? Because I think a lot of partners are and, and addicts are really curious about that.
2: Hugely. Uh, and, and they should be because um, our error rate in polygraph, the biggest factor in error rate is examiner incompetency. And I add everything about a test, structuring a proper test. Test question formulation is arguably where a polygraph has the most potential to go wrong. I can ask a question that is too stimulating or too accusatory or too vague or too broad or as compound or as multiple, there's there's a million and one things that can go wrong in a test question formulation. I, I've trained, I think, 11 or 12 different examiners in, in terms of the field of polygraph. And every one of them, without fail, will tell you that I, I'm super just kind of obsessive about question formulation. So partners will send me over questions say, hey, I want this question asked like this, exactly like this. And I tell them, no, you give me the topic, I'll come up with the question. Because the goal is, to, okay, it has to be readily identifiable. As soon as I answer or ask you the question, you immediately need to know that answer. And it has to be 100% yes or 100% no. No doubt about, no potential. And if there is, we need to discuss it and figure it out and restructure the question so that's it's not. And then two, it has to be so that a truthful person isn't caught up in something, the nature of the question, some phrasing, some language that's used within it that's too, you know, too much, too incendiary, too, it just, it, it stimulates too much or creates a problem. But on the flip side of that, we can't have a liar who can manipulate their way around a question and answer it truthfully, but still be lying to what the intent of the question is. So question formulation is huge. That's why you send me the topics and I'll come up with the right question.
1: So it's about trusting you really, like really recognizing you're the professional, you're the expert here, and you're going to be able to phrase this in a way that's going to get an accurate response.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and I don't want it to be like, hey, send me an I'm not, because I'll talk to partners about it. But they have to understand that when I sit down with their spouse or their partner, that it may change. And I'll, and it's important when they have a real concern. And talking to them is important because they can express to me, okay, this is what I want to know. This is where I want to get to. Okay, fine. We can get there. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like when we get there, but I will make sure that's covered. Uh, and, yeah, so a little bit it is just about trusting that I'll ask the question. And I can explain why I ask any question the way I ask or why I can't ask other questions.
1: So first of all, will you please share, again, I know you said it earlier, but I really, this is an important question, and I think people really want to hear this clearly, is what are the questions? Yes, you don't want to ask a lot of questions. Your preference would be to ask two, right? The two that you typically ask? Uh,
2: You you people get caught up in the numbers. So I say topics is kind of how I cover it, because topics, if I'm covering one topic, I'm gonna ask it three times within each test. So that's three questions, but it's one topic. So like the disclosure, um, it would be something to the effect of, have you intentionally withheld information from your disclosure document? When I ask if you have intentionally withheld information from your disclosure document, are you gonna answer each question truthfully? And then have you intentionally withheld any information from the disclosure document that we reviewed together today? Something to that effect. Um, if there's questions involved, then it would be something to the effect of, uh, have you lied on any part of your answer to Marnie's questions or to whatever your spouse's name is? And, those are, and then there'll be other structural questions within the test that we utilize. But in terms of the ones that we assess, that would be where we're kind of at.
1: So that's to say that a lot of partners have to understand that they they cannot just ask a slew of questions in the actual test itself. Like really, the questions again have to be um, they're best to be included in the in the addict's disclosure document, right? Not in the sec- not in the actual test, because everything that they put in the document is already addressed.
2: For sure, and sometimes people want. Them separate, and that's fine because we're still staying well within where we should be. So, in that case, it would just be have you intentionally withheld any information from your disclosure document, and have you lied on any part of your answers to so and so's questions? And that would be where it's questions that you've gone over, or sent to their therapist, right. the questions are answered before they get in. So, that, that you know, sometimes partners will see, well, I, I don't want them to know the questions before the test, right? Because they think somehow, and I think this goes back to that, well, I think they're such an exceptional liar that if they know the topics, they're going to find a way to manipulate the way around them. Mm -hmm. Um, But in reality, I'm not saying that's not possible, but I think it's far more likely that for a truthful person, knowing what the questions are, begins to take a touch of the nervousness out, a little bit of that fear, that anxiety, that apprehension about, I don't know what's coming in this exam. And for the liar, I want them really to be cued into what they're going to lie to. If you're going to hold something back, I want you to be fully aware of it. And then we're going to discuss it more in here. But I've had it where they send you know questions in a sealed envelope and I just laugh and I tell the guy, go ahead and open it. You know, you're know you in front of me now, It's you know this is not a secret. I don't do anything secret. I've um, had partners say, well, I don't want you to tell them this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not in the business of keeping your secrets. And, and I don't mean that in a, a negative way. It's just, this is supposed to be a forthright thing that people have concerns about polygraph. If I start trying to hide this person's or hide this person, I, you know, I had the person, do you have to put that in the report? Yeah, of course I have to put that in the report. That, that's part of it. So everything that we do here is completely transparent. And so questions, they they should be transparent. I have no problem. There's nothing wrong with them knowing what's going to be asked before they- No,
1: in fact, I really, um, I advocate for that because we're trying to help a couple rebuild trust in their relationship, right? And the whole point of the disclosure itself, including the poly, is to make sure there's no more secrets and lies. And so a partner might be like, well, he's been lying forever, you know, and this is just one little thing. And the truth is, it's not one little thing because what we're desperately trying to do, at least I- really try to do as a therapist is to truly bring um kind of equalize the relationship you know take all of the deception out and that can go both directions right i've actually had partners this this hasn't happened a lot but i've absolutely had experiences where partners are working with me and we're preparing a disclosure and i'm prepping her and then she'll say you know at the very beginning of our marriage i actually you know kissed somebody or i did blah 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 before we got married (laughs) i don't want him to know that and i won't have that in any way interrupt the disclosure process. Like that's, there's, I wouldn't do like a separate disclosure or disclosure for her in the same (laughs) disclosure that we're doing, but I would absolutely work with her to, um, to at some point in the not too distant future, find a way to safely disclose that because otherwise the whole point of trying to create honesty and like limit the deception or totally get rid of the deception, that's not, that's not happening. And it's not really fair. There's not a lot of fairness in this whole thing, right? Nothing's really fair in life. My father always says, why do you think life is supposed to be fair? It's not. <laughs> that part, people want to believe, right? They want to believe that that this is fair, that there's some fairness in this. And if an addict is genuinely sharing his truth, finally, and, and facing all of that pain and, and fear and terror, actually, a lot of times there is terror. Like, they are terrified yeah. that they're going to lose their whole family and lose everything that means something to them. And so if they are expected to do that, I think that it's only fair for a partner to be honest as well but as I've said, the majority of the women that I've worked with um, who are partners have actually said things like I would never do something like this or how could he live with the secret and not share I really haven't had that happen very often but like you said before, you know there's no there's no definite with anything there's always exceptions and I do think as a therapist, I would not just sit back or put that information aside if a partner brings that to my attention however i will say okay let's put this aside for for right now because we got to get through this disclosure but absolutely this is something we have to look at and you know something i also really wanted to just tell people is and acknowledge is that a lot of people addicts particularly think when i'm discussing the polygraph with them especially you know if they're my client and i'm working with them they're like, well, no, he's, he's going to get me to fail, or he's going to trick me, or there's some sense of he, he is against me, he wants me to fail this polygraph. Yeah. And I actually spent a lot of time talking about, you are not in any way invested in having people fail. In fact, you work really hard in an examination to help the person have a positive result. And when I say positive result, I really mean that the test is negative, right? That they don't fail. Yeah, right. um,
2: no, 100%. Yeah, no, I think we've had this talk before, and I think when I have spoke to like your groups before this, they come in for sure feeling kind of like I'm part of the other team, for lack of a better term. That they came in, you know, okay, I have my partner who I betrayed, I have that therapist who's wondering if I'm telling the truth, and now you're just the hired henchman to go ahead and cause me to fail or get through. And I tell them, listen, if you're lying, yeah, I'm, I'm not the guy you want to sit down with. But if you're telling the truth, I'm arguably the best advocate you can have because I have some way of showing, no, he is telling the truth. And it doesn't matter now all the thoughts, the beliefs, the intuitions, and everything else. I can show that you're telling the truth at least about this part. I run a pretty loose polygraph in terms of my personality is kind of what just the way I talk to you today. It's like, I don't get super formal. I don't get caught up in judging or it's, we've all made mistakes. None of us, you know, want to have to sit there and tell people the worst things we've ever done. But these guys are actually making the effort to do that. Right. And so in terms, of, I think, yeah, I don't want to say kid Gloves, but a little bit of compassion, a little bit of humanity and just kind of being a nice guy, just joke with them a little bit. I make jokes about things that people, most people would not. And it's not because I find them funny or if you listen to the tape that I think this is a humorous situation. I just find levity helps relax people.
1: It definitely does.
2: Yeah. So if I can crack a joke or two or try and get them talking, then we'll do that. Um, my goal is absolutely for them to pass. Just why would I want to create more chaos? Number one, but two, my job's easier when they pass. There's very few times when they fail and then they tell the truth and everybody's not happy with me at that point. I mean, you know, someone, Oh, great. You know, the goal is for them to pass. Yeah. And I've spent, I think I referenced that one earlier. This was, this was one, it was kind of a later appointment. It'd been a long day and just something was off. And when he expressed the concern about the question and what the thoughts were, to me, I didn't feel right, send him home. So we spent another hour and a half on that. And, and we, but we got the right answer, and that's what matters. Is I want the right answer. I don't care if you're telling the truth or if you're lying. From a personal point or standpoint, I, I have nothing invested in it. But I would like to get the right answer, and that—that's the goal. So we'll do everything we can to get the right answer. If that means you're telling the truth, we'll get the truthful answer.
1: Yeah, that's what, um, that's what I also say about my role. I think a lot of the addicts look at me, even though I'm actually, I'm actually a certified sex addiction therapist, I work with a lot of sex addicts, not just partners and couples. So I'm a huge advocate for the addict, right? Or the person who's caused the betrayal. So I'll say, I do not want you to fail the best thing that can possibly happen, even if I'm the partner's therapist. I pray, when I know a polygraph is going on in that moment, I am literally, like, I'm aware of it, I'm waiting. I'm probably feeling a little bit of the... Um, the hope also that a partner's feeling and the fear. I want the addict to pass. That's what yeah. I want. Whereas again, you talked before about feeling like maybe the the polygrapher and then the partner's therapist is sort of on the other team, where I don't think a lot of addicts realize that nobody is actually rooting like rooting against them, that people are rooting for them. But they know that their behavior has been so deceptive and so painful and traumatizing that I think then it they naturally assume that everybody else is going to see that too and want them to be punished in some way. So for anybody out there listening, I really, particularly male sex addicts, I want to say that... A lot of those fears that you have about thinking that everyone's on the other team, that's coming from your own shame and your own sense of defensiveness. So I really hope that you will hear this message and that we want you to pass. We want you to be free of secrets, you know, and free of the burden of holding secrets. We don't want you to feel guilty and shame in your life. Um, We are on your side. And hopefully, if you're able to reframe your own thoughts about that and and believe what I'm saying, it might make this whole process a lot easier for you, really feeling like people are fighting for you and with you. Yeah. So I have one last question. So a lot of mental health professionals in this field of betrayal trauma do not advocate, as you said earlier, for a polygraph. Like they don't buy it. They don't believe in it. It's just, it's, it's something that they don't, yeah, they just don't want to do. They don't offer it to their clients as an option. Or even sort of, if the client asks about it, they'll usually say, no, I don't, I don't do that. And this is the reason why. So another thing there's controversy about, even amongst the the clinicians and people that do agree that polygraph Is definitely an important and valuable tool in this process what they disagree about is when do you administer the test you know so a lot of therapists like myself want to do it before the disclosure and then there are other therapists that always do it after the disclosure and both of those camps feel very passionately about the decision now I know that you're not a therapist and so for you um, I, I get that you you leave it to the therapist to make that decision. Yes. However, what's your opinion? Because you are someone <laughs> who works in the field, you've been doing it a long time. I think you've probably experienced polys where you're doing them after and before. Just wondering generally if you have a particular stance on this.
2: Yeah, I, I do, I, I do. It's like many of my opinions in life, they just come from nowhere off the sound place. But uh, I, I don't, I'm a very common sense, uh, kind of logical approach kind of guy. And I don't understand. I'll do them because if it's it's not my place to get in the way of a treatment. So if a therapist says this is how we do it, we want it done post disclosure. Of course I'll do it because obviously they're not they're not doing anything that's unethical. Um, that's kind of the only time when I draw the line in anything polygraph related is unethical, or if we're just not going to get a valid result. If it's you know yielding this to you know, potentially get something that is not right. Um, I don't understand why you would do it post disclosure because um, then seemingly you've traumatized the partner. You've had this huge emotional crazy thing. And now all of a sudden, you don't pass, okay? That, that was nonsense. It wasn't true. And then whether it's a day or two or a week later when we go through the polygraph again, maybe, and they finally disclose everything, it just seemingly is unnecessary to me. I don't understand why you wouldn't have what you know to be the truth before you entered into the disclosure process. If, if everyone's agreeing to the polygraph, okay, you know, this is obviously for only disclosures where poly, If you're not using polygraph, then it doesn't really pertain. But if everyone agrees, we're going to use a polygraph to verify this disclosure, then I don't know why we wouldn't verify it before. Why, make, why go through the trauma? Why go through the pain? Why go through the whole rigmarole of doing something that you don't know for sure is accurate? Because at the end of the disclosure, I gotta imagine that one of the biggest questions a partner has is what else is there? Right. What, what, what else could there be? I got a million and one questions about this. Was he being honest about that? I think there's more to this. And if we haven't taken a poly, that, that's just a whole nother hurdle to go through. And then we gotta wait on the results of the policy to hope that everything right. goes right. And then maybe re-engage in that whole process again. Whereas if you just deal with it before, I'm not saying it's gonna run, you know, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be upset, but the first time they hear the disclosure, they know that it's accurate.
1: I'm I, And I agree 100%. And
2: I think it's part of why. like I was looking at that article you sent me before, uh, and it was, I think from like 2004 or something like that. And a lot of the references were to pre-2000 in terms of the citations. And I think it's important to acknowledge that maybe treatment models are shifting. Things have changed in this field. There's, you know, 20 years ago, sex addiction, I don't even know if it existed or if it it was just maybe a bleep, but not. You know, when I started doing this type of testing 12, 13 years ago, it was a very small portion of my business. Um, Now it's grown to something where, you know, there's a lot more therapists that are utilizing my services. But I think it's, I think sometimes we get set in our ways. I'm not judging one way or another because I don't think I'm qualified to, but I think sometimes the resistance to polygraph resistance to doing things a certain way comes less from what's accurate or what's best as opposed to what we're just most comfortable with or what we know and that's how I was trained that's what we know okay that's what I do as opposed to maybe looking hey there's other ways to do this and I think when you run the pre post disclosure I think sometimes it's just well this is the way that I was trained
1: right right exactly for me I have worked with certain clients where the other therapist really advocated for it to happen afterwards, and you know, I, like you said, like I might not be for it, but I'll sometimes I'll just go with that if that's what the the couple end up agreeing to, right? Right. The reason that I don't think that that's helpful, and I've seen it actually be very harmful, is that if the partner sits through an entire disclosure, and like you said, now they have to wait for this process to happen. So not even being able to to process or do anything with all the information about right. a disclosure because they're they're un, they're unsure what's gonna happen. Then this can end and there can be, let's say a partner just took that as okay, you did it, you know, you didn't you gave me the disclosure, you didn't take your poly yet, but everything's fine. Like you're swearing to me that there's nothing new. And so I'm like, oh, this is great, and let's rebuild and maybe I'll be intimate with you or open or vulnerable and, and some way moving towards some kind of connection. And then the polygraph comes and it's and they okay. fail. That is. That is another trauma on top of trauma, and I believe very strongly that that experience can make healing the relationship much, much harder.
2: Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Yeah.
1: There's so many things that I think are really just important, and um, and and I'm just going to in trying to summarize and wrap up. Although I really could talk to you for another couple of hours. Um, <laughs> I think I think some of the important messages are that overall, nobody is saying that this is 100% accurate. Like, nobody is saying that. Um, and we, we, what we are saying is that it's a really great tool in many different ways to be able to help with the disclosure process. Mm. I also wanna say that I think it's incredibly important that each person that's planning for the disclosure, both the partner and the addict, are in therapy and getting the proper support in terms of how to do it, the structure, make sure the questions are, that are asked are appropriate, and having time to prepare a safety plan all very important so for people that want to go through disclosure but they want to do it with their therapists who are not um specialists or they want to really speed it up and let's do it asap i'm a huge advocate of doing it as soon as possible but not asap if it means it's not going to be comprehensive and it's not going to actually get a a helpful or valuable or truthful result and i guess the the last Message I'd like to send, and I said it earlier, but it's so important. I'm going to repeat it is that if you're an addict listening to this, I really want you to hear that nobody's against you. You know, because if you're doing the polygraph, what it means is you're doing a disclosure. And if you're doing a disclosure, the, the odds are that there's hope from both people that they can repair the relationship, right? Like that's why they're doing it. We don't really do, as therapists, we don't really do, do disclosures when somebody has already said, I'm out, I'm not going to stay. You know, we, don't, we wouldn't advocate for a disclosure under those circumstances. So if you are there and you're doing this, Your partner wants you to pass. Your partner wants to recommit to a a relationship and try to rebuild trust and safety and intimacy. So please hear me again. I can't say it enough. The therapist is not against you. The polygrapher is not against you. And it's important to find the right people to work with, even just for the, like we just started having a program that we're offering in our center that's just disclosure prep. And what that means is you can both have therapists that you're really comfortable with that are not, specialists in betrayal trauma and have had no formula, um, no formal training in the disclosure process, we'll actually do that for you. We'll take you through that process because we don't want you to just jump into it and and for it to go, to go wrong. And when I say go wrong, that doesn't mean about the truth or not. It could just be the shock of hearing some things, not feeling comfortable going back home with the person you're with, so really making sure that you have some kind of plan. And during COVID, even more important, because having a plan and having some safety and some time alone is more challenging. So really needing to have someone walk you through that to come up with the best safety plan is so important. So those are what I think to be the biggest takeaways from this. Ryan, anything you want to add to that? Um, Just
2: on the polygraph side of things, um, I think it's really important, especially where we're at out here in California, just make sure you get somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, There's no licensing standards for polygraph in California. That's an important thing to realize. And this is not me saying only me, because there's plenty of good, qualified polygraph examiners out there. Find one that knows what they're doing. I think it's important to find one who's familiar with this, but understands how to kind of, for lack of a better term, stay in their lane. I've seen polygraphers who uh, yeah, I've heard of, they pass out like sexual history worksheets for the guy to fill out or start asking all these just random questions. And I think sometimes there's, sex offender testing that goes on in terms of post-conviction and i think sometimes they try to kind of employ some of those strategies in this i don't think they necessarily know so i think it's important to find somebody who's familiar with this who's comes from an accredited place a, a good school and then just somebody who whatever should be done gets done correctly. And I, I, that's that's just my biggest thing is just there's enough questions about polygraph without creating more by doing it wrong or by doing it outside of best practices or by just doing things we shouldn't be doing. And I think it's important to stay within what we're supposed to be doing, go to a qualified person and just make sure that they understand what's going on. And, and if you do that, you're going to get the right results. I get there's fear. I get there's angst. I get, well, it's not perfect. Yes, nothing in this world is perfect. There's no diagnostic test that exists that is 100% accurate. It's just not. But you can really minimize that error rate if you do things correctly, if the correct approach and the right protocols are put in
1: place. So, would you would you say then that somebody who is open to the polygraph, um, but chooses somebody who might be a polygrapher, maybe with law enforcement, but doesn't have any experience specifically around this issue of infidelity and, and sex addiction, that that would probably not be the best um, choice for someone who is dealing with betrayal trauma?
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's the best choice. I I think it'll be fine. I think I mean a
1: polygraph's a polygraph,
2: but it's just I know where I started in terms of doing this type of test to where I'm at now are totally different places. And I think we evolve, we get better as we understand things more. And I think some of the nuances or understanding what disclosure is and what's being asked and how to appropriately check, go after this. I think is really important. So I, I guess that was a long answer for, yeah, I think it's important to have somebody who understands this process.
1: Okay. Thanks. So Ryan, for anybody who's listening, that's in you know Southern California and might want to use your services. Um, can you tell us where we can find you?
2: Sure, our offices are in San Dimas. I work on a DF polygraph with my father, um, but just simply because I don't really advertise much. If you go on our website, you're going to find out a lot about him, but not a lot about me. My contact info. I can, should I just give the contact info now? Yeah, give or? us
1: your. We'll also put it in the show notes. But yeah, if you can just give us your um, your phone number and your email address, um, and also let us know if people have real questions specifically that came up because of this this interview. Can they reach out to you as well and just follow up and ask you clarifying questions?
2: Oh yeah, of course. Uh, so my name's Ryan Angulo. That's A-N-G-U-L-O. My phone number is nine zero nine two three nine eight six three one. And then my email is just my name, Ryan at gmail.com. And yeah, anybody, if there's any questions about anything that was talked about today, or if you questions about polygraph, yeah, feel free to reach out to me, uh, email, text, call, whatever works best for you.
1: Fantastic. Ryan, thank you so much. I really this is a tough field to be in. I mean, it is there's so much pain and trauma and just I can't I can't stress how much trauma there is, and so to have found you when I when I was first entering the field, and to have so much confidence that I literally have I don't even have a backup. When someone asks me for a backup, uh, maybe in a different part of LA, I I really don't have one that I can comfortably give and endorse. And so I'm personally very grateful because whenever I I refer you to a client, I feel I don't have to worry about it. I really feel. Um, totally confident, and that means a lot. It's it's relationships are important for me, and that, and in the work we do, it's all about relationships. And so, um, it's really nice to have a relationship with you, and to feel like um, I really enjoy collaborating.
2: I appreciate it, Marnie. I absolutely feel the same. Thank you very much.
1: So thank you everybody for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. Hope I did a a good enough job doing this interview today with Ryan without Dwayne present. And I hope that you've all gotten some answers to some questions that you've had. Again, feel free to reach out to Ryan if if you need. Thank you again for listening and we will speak to you guys next time. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you are finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Duane in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.